Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. So whether you're hunting farm country or the Ozarks, you need to know where they're bedding, and you need to know what's keeping them alive. Yeah. What are they eating on? So figure out what they're surviving on, whether it's browse, whether it's acorns, whether it's uh, honeysuckle, whatever, whatever. Find it and then correlate that to where you think they're betting, and that transition area is going to be a good bet in late season. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle V. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Veet, and I am joined by co-host of the show, Mr. Kyle Plunkett. How are you? Doing good. Yeah? Happy to be here as always. You wear, tell, tell the people where we're at today. We are back at Mr. Brad Harris's man cave. Yes, sir. <laughs> covered in- by thousands of <laughs> inches of deer antler. And All kinds of and critters and animals. Fur and, yeah. And, and a new elk, which we'll talk here in a second about. Um, but yeah, we're, we're up in Neosho, which we always love anytime we get to come up to Missouri and, and talk to some Missourians. I was just telling Brad, you know, we, a lot of the guests we talk to are, are Kansans because that's who we are and that's who we know. But um, that is not all of the Ozarks, and it's important to remember that. Um, yeah, you we, can't spell Ozark without Missouri. <laughs> there, yeah, <laughs> that might be that Ar- Arkansas education. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so anytime we're up in the Osho, you know we're talking to Mr. Brad Harris because he is the man around here, and, um, and we're back at his man cave. So, Brad, thanks for having us back, and it's good to see you again. Good to see you guys. I'm uh, happy to be here. Well, I'm always here. You are always but, here. But uh, it's good to have you guys up. I enjoy speaking to you and sharing, sharing with you all, so it's, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you just got back from a trip um, that uh, it's funny. I was listening to our episode the first time we did with you. You had also just gotten back from a trip right before that one, and now you just got back from another trip. And real quick, if you guys haven't heard the first episode with Brad, I think it's episode 22. I can check. Um, and incredible story. Brad is actually the man who invented the butt grunt um, years ago and um, is credited with, with that invention. So huge impact on the outdoors industry and, and deer hunting in general. He's also made all kinds of other different calls and had an awesome uh, just story and career. So, um, so make sure you go back and, and tune into that one if you guys are just now joining us. But, um, but anyways... So you just got back from a trip. Um, you went elk hunting. Maybe just tell, take a minute to tell people where you were at and kind of how the hunt went. Well, I went to um, the Plains unit in Colorado, which is southeast Colorado, or I guess it would be eastern Colorado, but I was the extreme southeast corner uh, of Colorado. First time I've ever elk hunted. I turkey hunted there a lot over the years, but never elk hunted. Uh, elk hunting is limited there. It's private land. I just happened to know someone that had the right piece of ground that gave me an invitation and I about broke my neck getting out there as soon as I got, I mean, he got called me on a Thursday night saying, man, we got an opening. Can you, you want to come out and hunt? And I said, just 
let me pack. And, <laughs> and it don't take I'll me long there. to pack. <laughs> and, there as uh, soon as I can. Yeah, I'll be there as soon as I can. And and I did. We went out to had a great hunt. Uh, caught the bulls in the, in prime um, stage. I mean, they were searching. They were fighting. They were looking for looking for love, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And we hit it just right. And uh, um, went out the first evening and uh, got a real nice six by six for landowner's son, and then the next morning I called in a bull that I killed that uh, came from, he came up probably a 1,000 yards out of the bottom of the, uh, of the cottonwood bottoms, and yeah. he came up into the prairie. We were sitting up in the open prairie. He just come charging, screaming, bugling, running, doing everything you want an elk to do, and I shot him at 15 steps with my 280. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> Lights out. First time I had hunted, first time I hunted with a, a, a rifle uh, since 84, so it's been a long time. Uh, yeah. I've hunted them with a bow most of my life, and uh, and it felt good. Yeah, I had a guy. Uh, he texted me. He said, "Hey, man, did that was that a little bit of a letdown when he you didn't have your bow?" I yeah. said, "Not one. Not at bit. all. <laughs> Not at all. I shot and was tickled to death, hyperventilating. I mean, I'm pumped. And yeah. <laughs> it was it was an awesome hunt. But uh, just very blessed to be able to hunt that kind of country. Yeah, and then catch the elk in the mood they were in and it made you look like a hero on the oh, call. Yeah. You know, when you get elk that want to commit suicide, it makes you look pretty good. Yeah, know? man. Was he talking to you all the way in? Oh, yeah. He, he'd scream, and then he'd run a while, stop and look, and I'd call, and he'd scream and run a little bit more. And, That's so cool. You know, and it was pretty quick. You knew that, you know, you're going to shoot him in self-defense. He, mm -hmm. he he's meant business. He's coming. He yeah, you. he's coming. So. <laughs> and he was uh, he was uh, the heaviest, most massive bull I ever killed. I mean, you couldn't get your hands around the on the main beams all the way up so he had a lot of mass just a real real nice bull i was tickled to death so uh we got we got a freezer full of elk meat to get heck, us through the winter heck yeah man you bet what what do you like to make with with elk do you go chili do you do a little bit of everything okay. you know obviously i take the in inside loins and the back oh, yeah. strap they are cooked alone generally smoked they're marinated Smoked uh, two and a half hours at 200 degrees, mm. really slow. Okay. Uh, that's the way they are eating. Uh, you got that one dialed Yeah. In. And then uh, I have a lot of jerky made. I usually have summer sausage made. I love elk roast. Mm -hmm. My wife makes an awesome roast. So I have as many roasts as I can get okay. because uh, I'm a, a connoisseur of roast, and she does a great <laughs> job with that. So, uh, you know, it. You know, it, there's certain favorite ways we like to eat them, but it's probably boiled down to five or six recipes, and yeah. that's the way I want. And yeah. I eat my deer and, and most other games the same way. Same so, way. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Connoisseur of roast and elk brains. Yeah. No, no, no. Squirrel brains. Squirrel so brains. That's what it was. Last well, you don't shoot squirrels. Squirrel yeah, squirrel brains, <laughs> you get in trouble for shooting them in the head. So, yeah. yeah you destroy My favorite little, little nugget of information from episode 22. Was, <laughs> we still have yet to try it. No, I, well, I don't think. You don't oh, think that's Mr. Brad cooked like it for me. I'll, you would like it. Okay. Well. No, it, it is tasty. <laughs> we'll see. It's kind of like, I guess, raw oysters, you know, you... Oh, Once yeah. you get the first one down, that's fair. It's good. Yeah. I do like a good raw oyster. Yeah, so if it's go. the Ozark oyster, yeah. then I think I'm in. I, I imagine it's something like if the texture doesn't throw you off, you can get through that. Then it's probably you're probably going to like that's it. That's okay. right. You will if you get through uh, what it really is, and uh, you know nothing. I mean, the brains are put there for a reason. I mean, you can tan a full elk hide with the brains of that elk, mm. so uh, they're there to be used. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. So heck yeah, very cool. Well, we wanted to come back to you today to. We've we've done some episodes on deer hunting. We've interviewed some different guests, but we've never we've never really visited just the subject of 
hunting in the Ozarks. How do you how do you deer hunt the Ozarks? It's different than when you're hunting in Kansas and you're hunting over farmland and and hunting in these these big buck states that you see a lot of times on YouTube and in the Midwest and stuff like that. And and so we all know that it's different. And anyone who's spent any time deer hunting the Ozark woods knows it's different. But just wanted to spend some time with you as someone who grew up in the Ozarks and and spent your whole life hunting and um, just to kind of go through how do you hunt the Ozarks, kind of get like the baseline of what is the general thought process as you hunt the early season, the mid season, getting into rut, into the late season, and and just kind of walking through um, that kind of progression throughout the the hunting season. And so really that's kind of what we're here to cover with you today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would just, I think let's just start with like, in general, um, what are what are some of the things that like a new hunter might need to know, or, or someone who's never hunted the Ozarks? What are some things that they should know about what's different and unique about hunting this area versus some other other places nearby, or maybe places where they've hunted in the past? Well, I think first thing you should know that it's gonna it's gonna take some hunt. I mean, you have to hunt, and when you're when you're raised on hunting the Ozarks, uh, hunting public land in general. Um, you have to learn to be a hunter. You have to be patient. You have to take in everything you can take in. You have to think about the timing. I mean, people say, well, I'm not going to the uh, hunt the Ozarks. You can't see very far. You know, Obviously, you can't go sit up on a food plot and watch all the deer come out right before dark. Yeah, right. Which makes it nice. I mean, but in the Ozarks, you don't see that. I mm. mean, you know, if you're lucky, you see 30, 40 yards in a lot of places, if that far. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just to go out and sit in glass... Ah, you know, so you have to take in the full realm of what what is there. So most of that's by foot, by scouting, by looking, and over a progressive amount of time. You know, I learned hunting the Ozarks. I'd hunt the same general areas for years, and every year I'd learn more and more and more. So it cut cut a lot of that downtime. I know where to go at certain times of year because I spent time in their area. And the first few years were lean. I mean, wouldn't get into many deer, wouldn't see, uh, back then you wouldn't even see a buck, you mm-hmm. know, much less hunt a trophy buck right, or sure. an older age buck. They're there, but they just are not as exposed as farmland bucks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got too many places to hide. They live off the, you know, Mother Nature, they live off the oaks, the browse, the acorns, you know. So they're not out in the farm fields, the pastures, the alfalfa fields, the food plots. So they're in that cover all the time. And you have to understand, you know, what are they living on? How are they surviving? Where are they bedding? And all that takes more time. You're not going to, you're not going to find that instant gratification by, hey, I'm going to drive out to Joe Blow's, you know, bean field yeah. and set up for my binoculars and oh man i saw 25 deer and 12 bucks and i saw 140 that doesn't happen in the ozark so it's easy to get your dauber down because mm-hmm. we're spoiled now but when you're raised hunting that way it's just the opposite i know what to expect in the ozarks and going out into the farm country or a managed hunting area and hunting is a little easier mm-hmm and a lot of guys get mad at me for saying that. I was going to say, you're going to hurt some feelings. You're going to hurt some feelings, yeah. and I don't care because <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. It's easier. I do it. Don't get me wrong. If you invite me to go sit on a bean field and there's a big bucket, I'm coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to get pictures. I'm going to smile. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pound my chest. Oh, yeah. But it isn't like scouting and hunting a public land deer or a Ozark 
deer, which is public land for the most part. Mm -hmm. And that takes more hunt. Yeah. It really does. And if you're successful doing that in the Ozarks, you can kill deer anywhere. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. Mm. And and in reverse of that, I could take some of them farm boys to the Ozarks, and they'll be lost for a couple of years. Yeah. They, they will not be able to figure it out for a while. It's going to take time. And, again, I'm going to make people mad, but I'm sorry. That's just the truth. And today you also have the luxury of cameras. Sure. Uh, still legal, and obviously some states are starting to, to ban the use of cameras. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, Arizona has, and I believe Utah has. That you can't use cameras. Can't use cameras. Really? Especially on public land. I, I don't, matter of fact, I think it's across the board. Okay. But especially on public land. Yeah, like can't use game cameras, uh, game right? Cameras. Not to film a hunt, but Not, it's, yeah. No, yeah, game, game cameras okay. to monitor game, right. and and um, I'm okay with it. I mean, I was, I, I never, you know. I was raised without them. Yeah. I can go back to hunting without them. I got 20 of them here somewhere, but and I use them. But if they said, tomorrow, Brad, you can't use them, okay, no problem. We just revert back to different tactics. Mm -hmm. and, See, that's really but, interesting because there's a lot of people who that's their whole game. It break your heart. They put up yeah. as many cameras as they can, yes. and that's how they... And that's okay. Yeah. If Which it's is, legal, it's okay. Trust me, it's a crutch. It helps you. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's your thing. eyes in the woods 24-7. <laughs> right, it's super nice to have. It's super nice. So if Brad Harris goes to the Ozarks today, he has cameras with yeah, him. Yeah, right. Okay. So I find a good trail, I put a camera up. Mm -hmm. And I find a, an old scrape line, an old rub line, something that trips my trigger. Or I find just a, you know, a, a break in the timber where you have old growth and new growth. Some kind of edge, I'll put a camera up. Because mm -hmm. I, I got all these cameras, and they can work for me. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It helps. And that, that can help you today as an Ozark hunter. I guess the only thing you got to worry about is getting stolen, but they can be sure. stolen on public or you know private land as well. And so I hide them and do the best I can to, 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 to eliminate that. But cameras help. And if since they're legal, and I'm just telling you right now, if you were going to hunt a new spot or you wanted to hunt a new section of Ozark Mountain, take some cameras with you yeah. and deploy them because they're going to scout for you and they're going to teach you, well, you don't need to be here. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I might want to check this out. I want to maybe well come back and, and hunt this a little bit because the deer seem to be doing this, this, and this because of the camera. What a, what a you know, great tool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it wouldn't bother me at all. Like I said, if they made outlawed them tomorrow, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to kick and cry. It'll break some people's hearts. The other thing is in the Ozarks, it's in many states, or say, I, I'm sure in Arkansas you can bait. Right. You can. In Missouri, you can't. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody, a lot of people do. Uh, I was telling you guys earlier, I mean, you can buy corn at Walmart, and it's illegal to feed deer. I don't understand some of that. And it says deer corn on it. And it says deer corn on it. Triple wash. They sell it by kernel. the truckloads. So if wow. you're in an area you can legally bait, you take a bucket of corn to the Ozarks, and you dump. Now, you got hogs and all this other stuff, bears. Mm -hmm. You're going to attract a lot of critters besides the deer. But you take a bucket of corn, dump it, and put a camera on it. You find your deer. It something's going to show you're up. You're going to find something. Yeah. And uh, so it it uh, it's a plus. It's a benefit. Um, in reverse of that, you may not be able to pack fifty pounds of corn in an area you want to go hunting. Right. You know. Uh, so that that may not you know uh, work, or you may attract more hogs, and you can't afford to feed them. You mm -hmm. know. So there's a lot. There's things that can play into that, but. If you're using those tactics, you're going to find deer. You got deer hunting you. You're not hunting deer. They're <laughs> yeah. hunting you now. Yeah. 
And and I get a lot of I get a lot of people that get mad at me for saying that. But I'm I'm I've hunted over bait. Mm. I know what it does. Oh yeah. yeah. And it alters deer. Yeah. And it alters some big deer. And mm-hmm. you know, if you don't believe that, then you're kidding yourself, you know. So does it take some of the hunt out of it? In my opinion, yes. It's it's a whole lot different going to a bait pile you've been putting out all summer that had cameras on it to know what time they're coming, which direction they're coming, and la di da di da versus going out there on foot, you know, with nothing out there and reading the sign, trying to understand the travel, trying to understand the rub lines and the mm-hmm. scrape lines and where they're bedding and putting all those pieces of puzzle together. It takes more of a hunt. Yeah. You know, it yeah. takes more. So it's kind of what a person wants to get out of it. Yeah. You know? So that's, uh, that's what I've noticed. I mean, I've hunted with different people who, who they, they only hunt over bait. I've hunted with people who don't like to use bait at all and, and they kind of like to let the land tell them where to be and they look for sign and stuff like that. For you, it sounds like well, what, what's kind of like your general philosophy on that and, and why do you feel like you get more satisfaction out of it? kind of sounds like you, you don't bait as much. Um, why do you no. think that that is the way that you go? Because everyone's got their own philosophy and they do it their own way and teach their own. But for you, why, why do you think you choose? Well, your obviously way? in Missouri, it's illegal, so I don't do it. Sure. You know? And uh, uh, in I used to lease in Kansas and I'd bait. And I'd, I'd see the deer, have my cameras. I'd have to spend any time mm-hmm. other doing than, the work for you. Other than changing batteries, pulling a card, and adding corn. That's And I was out of there. Walking around made no sense. Mm-hmm. In reverse that, how I was raised and how I hunt big tracks of ground now, it's, you know, you've got to have a lot of shoe leather and a lot of time, a lot of, you know, kind of ciphering what's going on yeah. and reading the sign and, and the conditions and all that. Um, I try to look at that. Uh, my approach to that is I, I understand that deer in, in the Ozarks and heavily timbered, heavily heavy cover where you don't have the luxury of long long distance scouting and, and, and rough terrain, rocky terrain, dry terrain, hard to read certain signs, that it goes back to timing. Everybody gets excited about October 1st, and I think it's September 15th in Missouri now, opening a bow season. Okay. And everybody runs, you know, to their food plot, uh, to their corn pile, because they know what's there. You know, mm-hmm. they monitor it. When I, when I hunt the Ozarks and I don't have those those tools available to me, I don't waste my time early season. There's two reasons behind that. One, I, it's it's hot, it's dry, it's hard to read sign. Um, deer are not active. Mature bucks are not active in the daylight hours. There's nothing to draw them out. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that they have to beat another deer to to get to that food before it's all gone. None of that comes into play. They're living by their instincts. Mm. Mature deer in <clears throat> heavy pressured areas, Ozark Mountains, public land deer are in general not very active. The deer I want to kill, most of them aren't even moving in the daylight hours. Really? They're nocturnal. They it's it's hot, it's dry. There's no agenda. There's no racing to a food source. They're living right there. They live a different lifestyle. And that lifestyle, by getting some age on them, has basically made them nocturnal and hard to access. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is, and I learned this the hard way, because when I was younger, man, October 1st was the opening of bow, and I was in the woods, you know, last couple of weeks, September, and then October 1st, it was Katie bar the door. I hunted every day, 
And it took me several years to realize my hunting and scouting during that early season, I was educating and spooking more deer <laughs> than I was seeing. Okay. Or actually hunting. And actually hunting. Yeah. They knew more about me than I knew about them. Yeah. Yeah, you're in their home. I'm in their home, and they aren't active. They're not on their feet, and I'm in there blundering around. <laughs> so I realized that something not adding up. I mean, I hunted hard. I'm reading the sign. I'm, but why am I not seeing these deer? Well, they're not moving when you can legally kill them. Mm, okay. Now, I'll, I'll go to my grave and swear on that on public land, hard-hunted areas. That's the way they are. If they're not kicked up by another hunter run over you, your chances of seeing them early season are sometimes pretty slim. Not always. Right. Not always, but that's a generality that I learned and I put in my mind and started hunting around that, and I started having more success. Now, don't get me wrong. When Buck's antlers harden and their velvet hardens and they shed their they they are in bachelor groups generally and you can even on public land and in the ozarks if you get lucky without bumping them and boogering them find a bachelor group that is up on their feet the last hour of daylight and if you're lucky to figure that out <clears throat> while they're in that stage they are patternable and yeah. you could kill one early a big one opening day mm -hmm. if you got lucky Learn where they were at without bumping them and catch that last hour and everything's just right. It can happen. Yeah. I've seen it happen. Done it myself. Well, and here, here's why I'm really excited about this episode too, Mr. Brad, is I feel like all the all the wisdom you get on YouTube or online or hearing from other people are the big buck states where it's all your game cameras, find the bedding, find the food, find the transition from the food to the bedding. Yeah. And I'm walking around in the Ozark Mountains going, everything's food, everything's bedding. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't make any sense That's to right. me. And um, I guess kind of a, a two-parter here. I, I get really – Kyle and I were actually talking about this right after the, the first time we did the interview of, like, I just want to hear how he hunts without bait or without anything else just in the Ozarks. Right. Like, how does he find the deer? Yeah. Uh, how, does he, how does he make it happen? All that kind of stuff. Because you're not looking at a 200-acre bean field nope. and watching the bachelor groups come in and figuring out, well, there's where they're bedding, and I'm going to go set up on that, you know, that one trail they're taking time and time again. And uh, even – I mean, I didn't even realize or recognize most of the deer that I'm probably trying to hunt early season. I'm probably messing up yeah. more than I'm, I'm doing any you good. You are. You are. Because they're, they're sleeping. <laughs> they're right. doing their thing. Yeah. They're, hidden. Uh, yeah, they're hidden. They're, they're hidden. hidden. And they see you a lot quicker and smell you a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. And so your scouting ventures generally educate. Totally. Yeah. And so early season rush, I want to be out there. And, and many times you're doing more harm than good. Mm. Yeah. That's why I always said Halloween in the Ozarks is when I start getting excited. That's when you... That's when I start getting excited. There's many, many, many years I'll never go to the woods until Halloween. Hmm. Really? Yeah. You wake now, the, Yeah, because now the your, your temperatures are better. Uh, your bucks are starting to feel a little active. Mm -hmm. They're starting to cover a little more ground. They're starting to investigate these little scrapes. They've created rub lines. It, the activity level has picked up. And so because over the years I've learned certain core areas that I know that if I go here Halloween, from Halloween on, I got a good chance of being on a, on a good buck mm. or here or here. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go in there and scout it in September and October because I've learned it, you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. And those are my spots. Now the key to having good spots is now treat them like a good a spot. A good spot. Yeah. yeah. So don't be in there. 
October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 10th, and wonder why I'm not seeing the deer. Mm, yeah, you're burning that spot well, out. you're burning your spot out. Uh-huh. And people do it all the time. Oh, yeah. I was guilty of it. We're guilty. Many yep. years. <laughs> guilty of it. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get into the late October, and that first day of November, second day, it's like, whoa, hey, there is bucks in here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm seeing some. But you may have educated that that buck you wanted to shoot, yeah. and he's still cautious because yeah. he knows you're around. They're not stupid. They figure you out. I've watched bucks track me in the snow in my boot, rubber boot. I'm a believer in rubber boots and scent. I try to stay scent-free. I don't spend money on gadgets and scent-free. I stay clean, baking yeah. soda, unscented soaps and deodorants and rubber boots. That's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hunt the wind. If Wind is everything. Okay. Uh, I don't. These guys say I haven't been winded in five years. Baloney. Yeah. Baloney. Okay? Uh, you haven't hunted in five years. So, uh, <laughs> you know, just because the deer ain't standing there blowing at you doesn't mean you haven't been winded. Right. Doesn't you know? mean it's uh, but anyway, I believe in staying as scent-free as possible and confidence. you got to have confidence no matter what you're doing. You know, I get people tell me, you know, well, I'm just going to have a good time. I say, well, I'm not. Mm. I'm going to kill a, a, the biggest deer I can kill. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kill the biggest elk I can kill. I got to have that in my mind. People say, well, you're, you're doing it for the wrong reason. No, I'm doing it for my reason. That's why I hunt. Mm. I'm driven to go fill that tag. It, it kills me at the end of a season to have a tag in my pocket that I didn't fill because I take that as a personal shot that you mm-hmm. didn't do. You weren't smart enough to figure it out. Yeah. It's on you, nobody else. Yeah. And a lot of guys, well, I just go to, for the camaraderie. Great. I'm happy for you. That's awesome. Go for the camaraderie. If you kill one, great. I go to kill something. Yeah. And so that's why I it, I worked so hard to figure out why I wouldn't have early season success in certain areas. And I got to realize, man, you're 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 educating your own deer. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even mm. doubly hard. Yeah. So when I got in my mind to start hunting these certain areas, uh, waiting until the deer were on their feet and something other than, you know, their belly is driving them and that's that rut is starting to kick in, then they start becoming vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so if I haven't burned that spot out by hunting it too hard, then my chances just went way up. So what are those dates when you talk about, you mentioned Halloween, when you kind of draw the line and you say, okay, early season is X date opening day to X date? Maybe you're going to say Halloween, and then and then when does that kind of that that next phase um, start to change where you start to get into that mid season? Well, you know, Halloween the 28th of October. I've kept records for many years, and 28th of October has always been go day for me. Okay, I'm ready. I say Halloween, but it's the, what's that? The 30th or whatever. Yeah, right so, around there. 31st. But the 28th of October is like days I. I can look back on my notes and say I rattled in bucks mm. on the 28th of October. That tells me, uh, give or take a day, that tells me that all of a sudden the activity level, just like turning on a switch, comes on. Mm. And you you might have went in and rattled on the 27th or the 26th in the exact same condition, exact same spot, and not seen a thing. It they has that switch has to turn on. Okay, and you're we're all guessing on what they did, but I've got it down where the 28th I'm going in the woods with this confidence. Yeah, if I go in the 27th, I don't have as much confidence. Yeah, but hmm. from the 28th on, I start seeing that 
pre-rut activity, I start seeing bucks responding to rattling. Not aggressive, super hard aggressive rattling, but just sparring and tickling. I've had buck after buck after buck come into that. And it's just the time. It's time, mm. you know. You might say, well, he's just a good hunter. No, he's probably got the time figured out. And he's probably taking good care of his spot. And he's 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 using his knowledge to have the best chance possible in that particular spot. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's all we can ask for. The, the next date starts in and that, I'm going to just say November 5th. I mean, in a matter of five days, all of a sudden it didn't, the tickling and sparring, it's chasing and aggressive rubs, huge rubs, stuff destroyed, scrapes just torn up. I mean, all of a sudden, it's that next stage kicks in. I become even more aggressive then. Mm -hmm. I'm not sneaking in. I'm I'm boogieing to a scrape line that I know with big rubs or a big rub line, I'm boogieing to those spots because these deer are even more active now and they're even more aggressive now, and I'm going to call more aggressive now. Yeah. I'm going to rattle harder, louder, more aggressive because now these four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old deer are on their feet and they're competing. And that's when I want to be aggressive and try to be one of those big deer to challenge one of those big deer. And so that intensity really turns up right there. It really turns within up. Within like a week span, basically. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to just say the Missouri Ozarks, I just by the 5th of November, it's, it's kicking in. We're, and we're it, probably pretty similar. For, for, a, week, for yeah. a week, you know, from then to say the 15th, the gun season comes in mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Yeah. From the end of gun season, that's that's prime time. Okay. That's prime time. If I'm going to save my vacation, it's or I got dates. limited amount of time, <laughs> yep. or if I got to keep my wife happy, I'm not going on October 1st. Yeah. I don't care about being in the stand when it's 80 degrees and mosquitoes are carrying me off and my deer are laying down. I'm saving it for that, that magic time from the 5th to the 15, mm -hmm. yeah. whatever that may be, okay. just ahead of the gun opener. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, when my rifle season opens, I'm right back in that spot with my gun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and you feel like God, you know, you've got a gun. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you're not looking for 20 yards, you're looking for 200. That's right, yeah. Yards. And in the Ozarks, you don't find that. <laughs> no. Yeah. But if you can creep out to 60, 70, 80 yards, totally. oh, boy. Oh, yeah. You know, not a lot of bowlers. Oh, that's an easy shot. Well, it ain't for Brad Harris. He wants his bow shots at 20 and 25, you know, and – uh, gun, I'm pretty good, yeah. but, uh, you know, I want them close. And yeah. if I got them close, I, I, I have that confidence. And so, um, so there's a progression there and it's, it's got a lot to do with reining yourself in and thinking, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, uh, and a lot of things can happen. I mean, you get a cold front push in for a day. It might, it might kick stuff, jumpstart something. Right. You just don't know. And you can't count on those, but keep it in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm sitting there on the 26th of October and there's a, a, a front coming in, the temperature's going to drop 20 degrees and the, and we're going to get some moisture. I'm probably going to head to the woods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's you where know? I was going to go yeah. next is yeah. if you, cause I was going to challenge if, if, if you are, let's say you only have the, the beginning of the season to hunt, let's say, you know, you're going to be busy and, and whatever. If you have to hunt or if you really, really want to hunt the early season, know that you could be educating deer. That's yep. the first thing. And know that you could be actually doing more harm than good. But if you are going to go hunt, 
what's what's the right way to do it and, and how would you kind of approach that and, and you just hit on there a little bit a cold front you might change a little bit there look or, for weather changes yeah okay. weather changes can help you uh um so this year is hot and dry and it's tough and uh, but other years you get those fronts coming in and out and they they can they can get deer on their feet and the other thing is you know we're I keep, I'm bad about talking about hunting older deer because that's what I hunt. I try mm-hmm. to hunt older age deer. Okay. There's a big difference in older age deer and deer. Gotcha. So if you're a bow hunter and you're hunting any deer and I'm, hey, I'm backing you 100%. Yeah. Shoot what you want to shoot. Forget about what Joe Blow says. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go out and shoot a doe or a year and a half old buck or a button buck, I, hey, if it's legal, have at it. I, I'll help you drag it out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that. They're a little easier, and they are a little less um, finicky as those four- and five-year-old bucks, especially mm-hmm. on public land, but not even on private land. Yeah. There's a big difference. Your younger age structured deer are more active. Yeah. They're less, you know, they haven't, um, I don't know what the word would be, they, they just haven't gained all the... I don't know if you call it knowledge, but they haven't sharpened all their senses and learned from experiences, and so they're more vulnerable. Yeah. It isn't that you can't go out early season and kill a deer. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You can go out anytime and kill a deer. We live in the heyday of deer hunting. There's deer everywhere. Just don't expect to shoot that, oh, my gosh, buck. Gotcha. Um, I'm glad you because, said that because yeah. it, sometimes it's like you've gone through the hunting season and now you're just like, I want to get out in the woods. I maybe just want to get some meat in the freezer because I've already I ate it through the summer. I ate all my jerky. I ate all my roasts and stuff like that. Yeah. But you can kill deer, obviously. Absolutely. Killing season. a deer is, is doable day one. Killing a big deer is doable any day of the year. But I'm just saying in general, yeah. here's what has has worked for me. You know, and here's what I've learned. The, the type of deer I'm hunting I mess them up. Yeah. I used to I educate them even worse. But I could go out and kill a, a button buck, and I did. Many years when I was a young bow hunter, I was out to kill a deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if I shot a doe or a button buck, man, that was awesome. And, and they're more vulnerable than these older deer. They'll get on their feet a little earlier. They're not as wary. You know, the, the, there's just a lot of reasons why they're out there. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I talk in generalities, and talk about older deer, that's because that's what I hunt. That's you what know, you're going for. Uh, anymore. Um, that doesn't mean I won't go out and shoot a doe. If I get hungry, I'll go shoot one. Yeah, not, not have not? a problem with it. So, But but you play those stages, and if I'm going to go out early season and just deer hunting, I'm just looking for that fresh sign. Mm-hmm. Look for fresh sign, fresh tracks, fresh feeding sign. Look where they're, if the acorns are falling, look where they're eating acorns. Look for the browse that they're browsing on. And when you go to those spots early season, you're likely going to see some deer. Mm-hmm. Not likely to see what I consider a mature deer. Gotcha. Not likely. Yeah. Can happen, but not likely. But you kill deer doing that. As long as you're hunting fresh sign, don't go, oh, that, you know, that's old sign. That track's a week old. I mean, go find fresh sign and hunt fresh sign. Because deer will generally come to the same area until they, they you know, either get pushed out of it or deplete whatever they're working on. There. Mm-hmm. So if it's fresh, chances are they're back that next morning or that next evening. And as long as you're hunting fresh sign. I know when I used to hunt in the southern Missouri in, in Mingo Swamps, where uh, I'd put an old Baker tree stand on my back and just walk. I'd get to the parking lot at daylight. I'd wait till it started getting light, and I'd take off. And I'd just walk and walk. 
And I would walk until I stumbled onto fresh sign because I was deer hunting. Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't buck hunting. I'm deer hunting. Just looking for any kind of. And I would walk until I saw the (laughs) freshest sign, the smoking hot sign, tracks, droppings, feed sign, whatever. And as soon as I hit that fresh sign, I looked downwind, picked me a tree, climbed up to that baker stand, and I killed a lot of deer doing Mm. that. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, rocket science. Yeah. I'm just going until the sign says, hey, they've been here and they've been here a lot or they've been here very recent. There's a good tree. Boom, I'm up. You know, and because all the topography there, even though it's would be considered in the Ozarks, it's, yeah. it's swamps. It's flat and level. So you had to rely on hmm. reading fresh tracks and droppings and places where they come in and out of the water that there was smoke mud in it and, you know. Then you were on you were on deer all yeah. the time, and you could do the same thing in the Ozarks. And again, uh, that's deer hunting. That's learning how to hunt. Yeah, you know? uh, I was gonna say that's kind of like a sounds like a good way to just start, like learning learning how to how to read deer, how to look for sign, how to kill your first deer. Kind of just setting that baseline is I don't know. Would you would you think that's kind of how how you got to the point where, okay, I've done that, I've learned that, now I kind of want to elevate and get get to the next level and, like, advance my skills even a little bit more. But because you had that baseline, do you feel like that sets you up to do that well? It did. Uh, um, I think part of it is just you make a transition where you've killed so many does or young bucks, whatever, whatever. Now I want, I want, to, I, I want some bone. I'm looking for something mm-hmm. a little bigger. So it went... To, okay, I'm shooting basket racks, and now I want something a little better. And that that's a, the transgression I had, or progression I had as far as uh, going into whitetails. And then after I learned that these bigger deer took a little different type of hunting mm-hmm. than the deer I was normally hunting, then it became even more of a challenge. I got to figure these out. And and so it, it's just a great trait uh, progression as as going from being just a deer hunter to trying to be a buck hunter, trying to be a mature buck hunter. Right. Um, and nothing wrong with any of the phases. I'm, I'm all for it because I've done them all, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but what what the problem is now, a lot of guys get hooked. They get so locked into their tree stand. You know, they got their stand, and that's the stand stays in that tree come hell or high water, and that's where they hunt. And dad killed deer out of that stand. Grandpa killed deer out of that stand. But it doesn't mean it's good every year. Mm-hmm. It changes. That's why the mobile hunter on public land in the Ozarks, you know, he's got an advantage. But most guys won't do it. They go to that stand. Yeah. They go to that rocky point because they've always gone there. Nothing wrong with that because that's the guy that says, I'm just enjoying life. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's great. But the other guy going, I'm enjoying life, but I want to kill a big buck. He's thinking, what can I do? I mean, I'm not having luck. I didn't have luck there. I'm not seeing the sign there. But that's where I always go. Well, that's the problem. That's where you always go. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder why it's, hmm, it can be feast or famine. A lot of times it's famine. Yeah. In the old days, we had the luxury of the portable tree stands. The Baker tree stands came out. And, man, you could strap it on your back. And as long as you had a limb saw or you could find a slick tree, you could climb up anywhere in a moment's notice. And I found that to be an advantage because now I can go, the best time to kill a deer is the first time in the stand. Mm -hmm. Because every time you go to that stand, you're adding generally more scent, more traffic. You you tend to uh, contaminate the area. Not always, but you tend to. Yeah. But I always found by moving and putting up on fresh sign, 
Might be the only time I go to that spot the but whole your year. Are high. But my chances are high. Mm-hmm. They're high. And next morning, I may be off somewhere else walk. There's days I wouldn't get up in a tree till 10 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't find fresh sign. It didn't matter. At noon, I'd shoot a deer because they were that's mm. where they were. Mm. And it, it wasn't anything I was doing special other than the fact that I had made myself keep looking for that spot that told me deer are here and have been here, you know, a few minutes ago, hour ago, or been here a lot. Boom, I'm hunting it. I'm up in the stand. A lot of guys don't hunt that way anymore. Right. But it's yeah, dead. I mean, it's the it's, difference between letting the deer tell you where you are versus where you think you should tell them to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of, yeah. you know, you're that's talking baiting, you're is. talking, what, yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's where my mindset. stand is. That's where you ought to be. That's yeah. right. like, well, that's right. no, that's, I'm going to where the deer are. And yes. that's, where, that's how we're going to hunt them. I got, I got two questions for you, Mr. Brad. Um, one, you, you mentioned going from deer hunting to buck hunting and then mature buck hunting. I want to hear a little bit about what you think kind of the, the transitions between uh, the categories. What are like the major differences and the major factors at play? for you as a hunter to go from uh, deer to bucks to mature bucks. And then I want to touch very briefly on just uh, like Ozark Mountain topography and, uh, you know, you're talking fields and rivers and stands. And I want to talk about do you hunt the tops of hills, the bottoms of hills, all that kind of stuff. As I'm looking at a whole landscape trying to figure out how do I find mature bucks, mature deer within these landscapes. Mm -hmm. But I guess first question, what, what, what separates the deer hunter from the buck hunter and the buck hunter from the mature buck hunter? It's education on both both sides, the hunter side and 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 the the deer side. I've always felt like the older age structured deer only got old because they learned. Hmm. Their instincts sharpened. Each year they survived the Ozarks, the onslaught of Arkansas deer hunters and good and these, you know. Good hunters. Missouri mm-hmm. boys, Arkansas uh, boys, good hunters. Yeah. And when you survive year after year after year, I'm not saying, I don't know how deer comprehend. I don't know. I just, I don't, all I know is they get smart. Mm-hmm. They get wary. I also believe the older age structure deer have sharpened their senses above and beyond the average deer. Just like humans, you know, Instincts, I mean, you talk to any veteran that fought in Vietnam. Yeah. He'll tell you that certain guys had instincts. They would hear things, feel things, sense things that the average guy couldn't. And they lived because of the instinct. Why? Doesn't mean that guy's smarter than this guy or a better soldier. No, he had something extra. Mm-hmm. Now, people say, well, now you're getting far. I don't care what people say. I'm telling you, I've hunted with guys. I believe I have certain instincts that are better than a lot of guys I've hunted with. And I've seen guys that, are, whoa, look, I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. once you take a look. That, And I don't know, not that they're more educated. They have, they feel things. Yeah. They sense things. Yeah. And... You know, I had my buddy that fought in Vietnam said, hey, he said, I I walked point for 13, 12 or 13 months. He said, because I hunted all my life. He said, I could feel things. I knew when something wasn't right. I heard a, I heard a monkey scream that the kid from the Bronx didn't even pay attention didn't to. Didn't think about. Didn't even think about. Yeah. So humans... 
they're, they're sharp guys. Yeah. They're sharp soldiers. That Their instincts are just a little better than mm. the average soldier. Yeah. And that's who I want to follow. Right, yeah. You know, I believe animals, and especially whitetails, the same way. They live through that. The ones that don't have the sharp instinct generally die. Mm-hmm. They end up in front yeah. of a hunter. Yeah, or a car. Yeah, or a car. But the ones that have that extra sense about them, they have that ex- extra sharp nose. Mm-hmm. They have that extra sharp hearing. Humans don't, we all don't hear the same way. We all hear. I mean, you know, most of us hear yeah. well, see well, but I know a lot of guys that hear a lot better than me. Yeah. They'll hear stuff that I'm going, what? Did you? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. Or I, my grandson, we can be driving down the road and I'll say, Is that? he goes, Papa, a deer. And I'll look up and I'll see a deer. He said, a four point. Like, I see antlers? a deer. <laughs> I don't see no antlers. Yeah. His eyes are great. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and his hearing is so much better. Well, turkey hunting. I hear a turkey gobble. I don't look where I look at him because he's looking exactly where the turkey gobbled. Mm, yeah. His hearing is better. His eyes are better. He's much sharper. Yeah. Uh, in that regard. So I look at it and I look at him and learn from it. Now, yeah. I used to have ears like that and I had great eyesight, but I don't anymore. I, my hearing, heck, an echo, elk will bugle over here and I walk that way. <laughs> Turkey, same way. But so every animal, they're like humans. Some of them have great hearing and some of them have good hearing. Some of them have great noses, some of them have good noses. But the biggest part is some of them are not curious. Everything puts them on edge. Yeah. These older deer are not curious. That's why they don't, and I have guys say, well, I drug my scent, my urine dragged behind my boots, and this buck come around. Nine times out of ten, that's a year and a half old, maybe a two-year-old buck that falls for that. Yeah. I have had many bucks come to scent drags and, you know, Stuff I've hung on limbs and just on and on. I've had lots and lots of bucks to them. And in the old days, I have shot every one of them mm-hmm. and been happy. But I've yet to have what I consider a mature whitetail mm-hmm. buck in the Ozarks follow, you know, a scent drag up and let me shoot him. Yeah. Why? Now, I know guys say they have, and great. I'm, I'm a, a super. But I believe is they do not, they're not curious. They, so... Curiosity kills a cat. That's you exactly get a cat that goes looking a snoopin', sooner or later it's gonna get run over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And deer the same way. But some of these deer are not curious at all. They they see something or hear something or smell something a little. They're not coming to investigate. They're sneaking away from it. Hmm. Don't need to know what that's, it is. That's a whole different breed of animal that yeah. you're hunting. Oh, totally. And when you get when you get into the public land areas and the Ozarks, the heavy uh, timbered areas, brushy area where they're not visible. That is such, that is just an amazing thing to have to survive. Mm-hmm. Is no curiosity. If I think I smelled a human, I smelled a human, I'm gone. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and he know. ain't gonna snort and blow and let you know I'm leaving. He sneaks he's away gone. into the mist. You don't even know he's there. Well, when you think about mature bucks, even on public land, and they could they might fall for the scent drag one time out of the year and then they're educated to it mm-hmm. and whatever else. You, you just for the compound, rest of their lives. Yeah, you just compound that over all the different experiences a mature animal is going to have. And it makes sense that they wouldn't be curious anymore because yeah. every time they were curious when they were younger, not saying deer have a you know the memory where they're like, well, back two and a half years ago, <laughs> that yeah, kind of thing. But yeah. something within them is going, the last time that 
this scenario happened. It was not it's, good. It's a warning sign. Yeah, it's, and I even I see I even that. see young deer like that. You mm -hmm. watch young deer in a field. Watch the first one that leaves, and the rest of them stay. You wonder why that deer left. Mm -hmm. That deer is a little bit sharper. Mm -hmm. it, it will not tolerate near as much as these other deer. Mm. So you can watch it even in the young herds or the big groups that you happen to see. Some of them just, they, you know, you make a little noise and every deer looks up, one or two get out of there. Yeah. The rest of them look and look and look and bob their head. And then, okay, those are the ones that die. Yeah. Sure. Those, those that sneak off learn something. Yeah. They are a little bit on edge. Are they smarter? No, but their instincts are mm -hmm. sharper. And they, they, something's up and I'm not, you know, I'm not. So these older deer that live that long in these areas have those extra senses, in my opinion. They have the better noses. They have the better hearing. And, you know, they, they have the experience because they went through the wars. And then they are not curious at mm. all. They don't have that curious trait in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I can't prove that. And Dr. Grant Wood may say, Brad, you're full of baloney. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah. This is what I've seen over 50-plus years of trying to figure out and give him the benefit of the doubt of why this is happening, why he did that versus why she didn't or vice versa. And is it the timing? Is it the weather? Is it his age? Is it hunting pressure? You just, as you're just, you know, ciphering through all the scenarios and then after so many years, you realize there's something else going on here. Right. You know, there's a, there's a different breed of bucks that you're hunting. I've seen it with cameras, you know. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I talk about cameras and I, I use them and I, believe it or not, I shoot, uh, up until this year, I probably shoot 25, excuse me, to 30,000 pictures on cameras a year. Wow. And that's a lot of pictures. Yeah. And I know a lot of guys do more, but I guarantee you most guys don't do that many. Yeah. But I have seen from those cameras where I've got a picture of, a buck, a certain buck, one time, and you never see him again. Now, he may not be the biggest, although most of the time they're good bucks, yeah. mature bucks, and you'll catch them in the outs behind, just at the end of your view of the camera, you're actually snapping off when he walks by, and he's coming downwind of the corn pile or the food plot where it's full of deer, and you catch a glimpse of him and say, man, that's a good one. We'll get his picture and never see him again, ever. Mm. Never, never come mm. back to that camera, because once that flash goes off or that infrared goes off, you say, "Well, they can't see." I'm telling you, they sense it. Mm -hmm. Certain deer can sense evil. I went into the hospital this year to get. I had a heart attack in January. Went into the hospital. Went in to get my heart worked on. Mm -hmm. I went in that room and I felt evil mm. in that room. Now, this is a true story. Something told me that something bad's going to happen. And Before your surgery? Yeah. While they were getting ready to put me on the table. Uh -oh. And I was about to break. I mean, I, I basically made up my mind, I'm out of here, and there ain't nobody in here going to hold me down. I'm, there's something evil in this room. All of us, nurses and the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and me, but something told me, Brad, there's evil in this room, yeah. something bad's going to happen. And I literally was shaking, starting to hyperventilate, and I basically gave it to the Lord, okay? I turned it over to the Lord said, I can't do this. Something's wrong. I allowed him to put me on the table, 
I do not remember a thing. I woke up in recovery, and the doctor comes in. He's white as a sheet. My wife is crying her eyes out. I'm going, I'm good. Life is good. I mean, it's over. I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know anything happened. Well, I went to anaphylactic shock and nearly died. Oh, my goodness. Within, Dr. Helmy said, we were that close to losing you. We fought and fought and fought. I said, I don't remember a thing. Wow. I feel great. <laughs> I feel great. He goes, you don't remember anything. He said, you're the one that told us that you couldn't breathe, that your throat was swelled. You were telling us this. I said, no, I wasn't because I was asleep. Yeah, I was out. I, I was that. out. He goes, Brad, you, I'm just telling you, people have senses. Yeah. You can sense senses. evil. Mm-hmm. I think everybody at one time in their life or another has sensed evil. Something bad's going to happen. I yeah. don't know what. Mm-hmm. That's what these white tails do. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people discredit instincts as yeah. like luck. Like no. even even I do it sometimes and yeah. just think like, oh, that just happened that way or that was a coincidence. But I think to the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, you know what? Instincts, like that's a real thing. People, it's a real thing. People have a killer instinct. People have a different instinct. People have a Everyone, survival instinct. You're exactly right. Yeah. It's that fight or flight. Everyone's got that kind of subconscious thing that happens. Yep. And, and animals sounds and like And animals do too. The same thing. And mm. And everyone's different. There's certain levels in those animals that are just beyond what we can even comprehend. Yeah. Now, I can't prove this, and some biologists are going to laugh at me, but I'm just telling you, (laughs) it's real. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with that Mm -hmm. element and your mind is to go to the Ozark and kill a a good buck, a mature buck, you better be thinking of these. You got to get in that mindset. You got to get in the mindset and the education factor. And so then timing is absolutely critical. Uh, contamination of the area prior to good timing is absolutely critical. Okay. All those things add up. Yeah, that's good because you said you couldn't prove that they have special instincts, but I was looking around the walls like, I can prove that you killed a lot of big deer. <laughs> I know you've got like, some instincts. So yeah. how, how do you do it? Timing? Lot, yes, a lot of, um, uh, and a good place to hunt at times. Hunt. And, okay. uh, but I, the biggest buck we've ever killed, we meaning the family. My son, I've killed a lot of big deer, but my son's killed a 197 Golly. Buck, when he was 13 years old. No. In the Ozarks of Missouri, no feed, no cameras, nothing. 13? He was 13 years old. We went into an area. We hunted this area before, but went into this area scouting the day before gun season, and we come up along this ridge, and we started seeing giant rub just shredded, and I could look down that ridge, and I said, whoa. Yeah. This is, we stopped right here. Mm -hmm. The wind is right. This sign is smoking, and it is friggin' huge. Mm-hmm. We put up our stand. The next morning, we're in that stand at 7.30 in the morning. Here he comes chasing the dog. Oh my and 13 years old. Now, that buck, we caught him with his pants down. We hadn't been in there all summer. <laughs> yeah. We went in there the day before and fortunately didn't bump him. Saw the sign put up. Was back in opening morning of gun season. And I videoed my son killing the biggest buck anyone in our family has ever killed. Oh my god! Do you have that video? Yeah, I yeah. love it. It's on the old one of the old. It uh, and it's terrible video because I'm the hey, worst cameraman okay. in the world. <laughs> By fact, I might have a copy of it laying here. But yeah. Um, but the, the fact here's the factor: we got lucky to walk into that spot. You found the spot. We saw the sign, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to say, "My God, mm-hmm. this is this is a giant." This, mm-hmm. I mean, big rubs get me excited. Oh yeah, especially in the Ozarks, and it's like 
this is where we need to be. And so we didn't booger him. We didn't educate him. We hadn't been in there scouting for months. In it. We hadn't been in there bow hunting for weeks in mm-hmm. advance. This buck was living there. Nobody bothered him. He was happy as a lark. The next morning he runs the doe right, really right up the rub line, 15 yards in front of my son, 13 years old. And <laughs> he shoots and he, he, he shoots him in the liver and he runs, Oh no! runs. He's not bleeding good. Uh-oh. And he, Runs behind us. I shoot him again. Shoot him again, and he he shoots this time and misses him, and he runs off. Oh no! And I'm sick. He hooked up at me. He said, "Boy, that's a big one, wasn't it, Dad?" <laughs> You're you like, know, "This the is biggest the biggest whitetail I hit in your stomach." It's the second biggest whitetail I ever saw. I saw one in Illinois a few years prior to that that was in his class, and not better, if not better. Mm-hmm. But this was the biggest whitetail. Besides that, mm-hmm. and I think he just got away. Uh, but fortunately, we get down, and there's little drops of blood, and we t- finally got him tracked up and got him killed. And unbelievable, this deer is just a monster. Just, oh my gosh! Uh, but that the luck there was, it, we were lucky. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got in and out at the right time. We, that deer was not spooked, and that's what you're looking for. And mm-hmm. that's why going in early and doing all the scouting sometimes isn't the best thing to do. Sometimes just moving and hunting and mm-hmm. moving and hunting can produce some big deer because you're getting in their bedroom and first time in is generally the best time. Yeah. And, but that Illinois buck I was telling you about, which is the biggest whitetail I've ever seen in the wild, came out at 80 yards, come out of a thicket right before dark. He was a 200. Country? He was. I was hunting farm country. Come out of the Mississippi River bottom. 80 yards, wind was very light and blowing directly in my face. No problem there. I mean, I'm just wondering if I can draw my bow. This is such. This is the biggest deer I've ever seen. Yeah. And he steps out, and I really believe I was so nervous because this is this this deer is going to put me on the cover of outdoor life. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. It's a uh, life changing. Yeah, life changing deer. And he steps out, and he just kind of looks in the general direction. And he literally steps backwards, back into the cover. That's never that. seen the deer again. Oh my gosh! That's instincts. He knew. Mm-hmm. He, he knew sensed. Was up. He didn't win me. He sensed me. Yeah. That's why I do believe that some of them have that ESP. They feel it. They feel that danger, just mm-hmm. like I felt it in an operating room. Mm-hmm. He walked into my operating room and sensed danger mm-hmm. and backed out. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. I've seen that happen many times over the years for no reason for a deer to to do what they do. They just have those extra. They just senses. have the feel. Yep. Yeah. That's like that nervous energy. You almost can feel it sometimes when you're in the stand, and like I don't even like looking at the deer because I'm worried they're going to see my eyes. But you know, like they always say, dogs can smell fear. That's yep. that's if you're nervous around a dog, they'll sense that. Yep. They'll feel mm-hmm. that. You almost wonder if that's like if that really is palpable through like the, the wind or whatever. It's like they can feel. I have no idea. It's I, I believe it is. <laughs> I believe it is. And you're into a whole different realm. Oh, for sure. Most hunters won't even. But if you sure. at least think <laughs> about it, whether you believe what I'm saying or not. Right. But if you'll take it with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. realize that you're dealing with a different animal, so you can't get by with some of the things you could get by mm-hmm. with on other animals. That's fascinating. But I also. Quick story for for guys that are non-believers. A good friend of mine named Michael Pierce wrote wrote for Outdoor Life for many, many years. And Michael and I hunted together many times. A great guy, super rider. Um, He started doing the 10 biggest bucks killed article for Outdoor Life. He did it for several years. Mm -hmm. So he would 
find the 10 biggest whitetails killed in the United States every year, call and interview those hunters. One thing he will tell you, one thing he found out, that most of them never knew the deer was there. Nobody had ever seen the deer. Many of them, it was the first time they ever walked into that spot. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty solid stuff. Yeah, that's good evidence yeah. right there. Now, now today, because of all the cameras we got out and the feed we got out, there's probably fewer and fewer of those deer that are not getting at least get the picture of. Yeah, at least once. But there's still some out there that aren't falling. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. The cameras, they're not falling for the bait piles. They're not, they're, you know, there's still a few out there that are doing it. But, you know, we crowded them pretty good with the cameras. Yeah. They can't get by with as much as they used to. For sure. So, but there's there's more to it than just Brad Harris is off on some wild <laughs> thing. Yeah. We don't, we don't I believe that. it. I give them that credit. Yeah. And that's, that's how I hunt them. Well, that, that's something I like about that too is it, I, I think it's easy for me to feel I don't know if it's guilt or what of like, I'm not spending enough time planting or habitat or whatever. Or putting out camera. Yeah. I got a family, I got a job. Like I'm trying, I, my time is pretty limited even to get out in the woods, but to know, then I got, you know, I've got my granddad's stories to back these up. I have your stories to back this up to know that there's still a chance for the guy who learns to read the woods, learns to read the sign, learns to understand what's going on, has a feel of how to be a good hunter that he can put some miles under his boots, get out, get out into the woods, get a feel for what's going on in the area, sit down and still kill Absolutely. I mean, a world-class deer. Absolutely. Or yeah. not even a world-class deer, the 130-inch Ozark mountain buck that yeah. for me is a trophy. Absolutely. I mean, like, I'm all about that. And yeah. that that kind of hunting, I think, uh, just personally is way more appealing than I put in 100-something hours in the fall to make sure this food plot was perfect and I did this and this and all has to come to plan, maybe because I'm lazy or maybe because I just enjoy being out in the woods and, yeah, going hunting. Yeah. Well, you yeah. just don't oh, have yeah. the time to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Most if that was my don't. job, it'd be great. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I believe, like I said, that you know, I believe in luck. Yeah, people can get lucky, but I think there's some more more to shooting because I've we've all heard the hundreds of stories that Joe Blow killed this giant buck, biggest buck ever. Giant might mean 110 inch eight point, but the biggest buck ever killed in our hunting camp, or the biggest buck ever killed, you know, here or there, what was killed by Joe Blow, and Joe Blow don't even hunt. He don't know a deer from a goat. Uh-huh. <laughs> we heard that. I mean, oh yeah. okay, is that beginner's luck? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. But maybe Joe Blow sat in a spot that nobody ever hunted, and the deer mm-hmm. that lived right there never felt no pressure, yeah. no yeah. fear. Gotcha. You know, there, there, there's there's more to it than what I'm able to figure yeah. out. Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay. Well, let's 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 go. Um, you mentioned something. You guys both just threw out some scores of some deer. For you, what do you what would you say is like um, when you get to the point of like trophy buck in the Ozarks? What are what's the range where it says to you like, oh, that's that's a once in a lifetime buck? And then what's a really good buck? And then what's kind of like your typical buck around here? You know, that's really hard to say. I I mean, I think age is more of a defining factor. Okay. In the rack, I mean, if you're shooting a four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old buck in the Ozarks, you've killed a, a big old smart buck. I don't mm. care what he got on his head. Same way with a doe. You shoot an old doe in the Ozarks or public land, pretty salty. Yeah. You can kill him anywhere. Okay. You know, so to to you know, for my son to shoot a 195 in the Ozarks, that's you know, that's unheard of. It's unheard of. Yeah, it's yeah. unheard of. Uh, are they there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of them? No. I don't think a lot of them 195s anywhere unless yeah. they're in a high fence. But mm-hmm. um, they're certainly more vulnerable and certainly states, 
you know, grain states and Midwest are, you know, producing more of those because of nutrition. But uh, on, on good years, good back-to-back years of, of good rainfall and good uh, Mother Nature producing good browse, good acorn crop, it's amazing what how big a deer can get in the Ozarks if they get all those combinations, especially with back-to-back-to-back years right, of having that luck. Then all of a sudden you'll see more more quality racks. Mm-hmm. So, But, you know, if you're looking at the Ozarks, you see a 125, 30-inch deer, that's a big deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, in general, that's a big old deer. And people in Iowa are, are you know, I, would, I wouldn't shoot it at, in my place up by Stockton. I mean, that's just not what I know because I know what's there. Yeah. And I happen to be able and lucky to hunt a spot that's producing that the norm, or the average mature deer is 125. But I got a lot of the 140s, 150s, and there's a few 160s and 170s mm. in there that, okay, so I, I'm i looking at the 130. I'm not scoffing at him, but this area produces these mm-hmm. 160. And you can expect to see one. Sometime, if you're hunting smart and hunting right, where the guy in the Ozarks, not likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I, I love it. Where, you know, uh, you got to you got to judge everything by where you hunt mm-hmm. and what how you hunt. Right. If you're lucky enough that Daddy owns a big ranch in Iowa, and it's only for family, and he grows you know 500 acres of corn, you got river bottom on it. You're pretty lucky. Yeah, you're lucky, you're, dude. You're pretty lucky, Go dude. <laughs> and if you're not killing big deer, it's because you're a dummy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's the case. That's just the truth. Uh, it, you know, when you take that guy to the Ozarks and say, Go kill me a big deer, he's going to struggle. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a whole di- Not because he's a dummy. I, I don't mean that, but it's the fact he has no experience mm-hmm. in that terrain and it takes a while. I've taken turkey hunters from Colorado and, and Wyoming in the Ozarks turkey hunting. Now, they've killed a lot of turkeys out west. I bring them back to hunt the Ozarks, and they feel like they are in a cell. Hmm. They cannot believe you. I can't see nothing. Mm -hmm. How do you kill anything in this? Yeah. Well, just when he comes in, shoot him in the head. (laughs) I can't see. You can't see five. Yes, you can. I've literally had him panic working a gobbler, and... They almost hyperventilate. I cannot see. I can't. It closes in on them. Mm-hmm. It's only because they they've never experienced sure. that. And in reverse of that, I'd go out west and I'd be riding along with my buddy Eric Albus, who was born and raised out there. The coyotes running out there, three hundred yards. He, he puts it in park, gets his two twenty or twenty two two fifty, steps out, boom, rolls it, gets back in, and drives on like it's nothing. Oh my gosh! I said. Back home, we don't see coyotes at 250 yards. Uh-uh. You see them at 25 yards. Maybe. Yeah. You might see yeah. them at 25. Yeah. Uh, but that's how they're raised. Mm-hmm. They Great shots. They're confident in that shot. And then for me, I need a rest, and I need it to stop. And <laughs> I might need a couple shots, you know, stand still. Right. Uh, so it's all relevant to where you're raised and how you're taught to hunt. So yeah. keep that in mind when – you know, when you're bragging about yourself and how your prowess is a big hunter of some kind or other, think about where you get you got a chance to hunt or the you know who who done some work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a guy guiding and doing the scouting, and all you got to do is go sit in a tree, I'm okay with that. I've had I've done that. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, but it ain't the same hunt as the guy going and scouting his own deer, putting up his own stand. 
and trying to figure out those deer himself. It's a whole different ball game. Yeah. So you got to just kind of weigh everything. It's all good. It's all hunting. It's all fun. Mm -hmm. But it all needs to be kept in perspective yeah. of how you're hunting and how you treat people that, that are doing it and being successful at it. Yeah, and doing so, it different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we take a quick break, uh, you're talking different landscape and all of that, and it kind of goes back to, to question two yeah. like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking even more. You got, you got the West, you got the Ozarks and all this kind of stuff. As far as hunting deer in, in the Ozarks, you got mountains, you got fields, you got streams, you got big timber, you got, you got all the stuff. Um, if you are going into a new spot and you're, you're thinking, I want to find mature deer, what are some of the first things you're looking for? Like, are you hunting up high on hillsides? Are you west facing slopes? All that kind of stuff. Like, what is, what's going on in your head when you jump out of the truck and you, you grab the bow and you're heading off into the woods? Heading off in a new area, um, terrain is the number one thing. You know, I'm looking for saddles. Okay. Uh, what's a saddle? A saddle. Doesn't know. Anywhere that, for instance, you're following a ridge line and then you, there, there'll be a dip in it. And come up, it creates a saddle. Mm -hmm. Deer love to work through those saddles. Basically, a I low look, point between yes, kind of two yes, higher points. Yes. Okay. So that's a train feature I'm looking for. I want to scout those out. I generally, generally, if you're saying, okay, where are you going to look first? I look three quarters of the way up a ridge. Okay. I like that upper portion. I don't want to be on top, I don't want to be in the bottom. I generally traverse. Half to generally three quarters away up a ridge, and I'll work that height. Mm. I've just had good luck finding deer that travel. They're not right up on top. Mm -hmm. They're not right on the bottom. They're halfway or a little better up. I think they travel those because of their view and the, because sure. their instincts make them. Are they on the bottom because they don't want to yeah. be looked down on, yeah. and they're yeah. not at the top because they don't yeah. want to be skylighted? Not sure why it is, but I've just had good luck. Okay. So That's good if to you're know. saying, Brad, go go scout this mountain, I'm going to be scouting this three quarters of the way up parallel or you know parallel in that ridge and then looking for saddles coming off of it okay and that that's going to create spots that i think should deer should gravitate to i'm gonna be looking for you know pinch points and i'm gonna be looking for ridges two or three finger ridges coming together where you got deer traveling the finger ridge here and they meet somewhere so i got three or four fingers meeting mm -hmm. in one area then i will go to that that's when i'll go to the bottom and I look. They'll go around to those. They'll, they'll, they'll follow the those fingers and cross those fingers. Okay. In other words, instead of bailing, they'll 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 climb a mountain. They'll, sure. They're like a goat. Yeah. But when they're natural travel, ease of travel, I like to find two or three finger ridges that come together somewhere, or two or three finger ridges that meet at the top. Something that's given two or three or four avenues of approach. I want to be at that pinnacle and kind of check the, that, that intersection. Out, that intersection. Okay. So and. Then you're looking for pinch points, something where might be an old fence, a rock wall, um, a creek, a steep bluff, anything that forces a, forces deer to move to a certain spot, pinches them down. Mm -hmm. Great places. So it's it's terrain features you're looking for to to get you in the right spot on new country. And mm -hmm. if you'll take, you know, like I said, you can find them anywhere, but if you'll take some of those spots and be looking for them and go searching those out you'll find more and more deer and you'll find more and more travel um it's it just amazing another thing I, I mean i like to obviously when i'm hunting i'm looking for oaks and acorns and white mm -hmm. oaks especially and stuff food sources that go along with these travel routes and go along with the pinch points and you know uh, uh the saddles and if, if 
some of those other things are in that area, then that just even makes it more appealing. Right. Um, you start adding in some of those features, and it's not just that there's a saddle. There's a saddle with a wide open nearby, yeah, and it's drop an yeah, acre, and yeah, you got yeah. all this other stuff. And there's a water source. Water or, source, yeah. There's just so many things. Dry year water is going to be critical, you yeah. know. And so you just keep adding those things together. And But that's the generalities I look for. The other, the uh, One of the most critical things I look for is natural um, breaks, uh, natural edge, um, mature timber versus cut timber. Mm-hmm. I want I want to work that edge. Um, thickets, you know, a lot of under under uh, growth or underbrush and open timber. I want to work that edge. Deer like deer, creature of edge. They're going to travel edge. They're going to leave their sign on edge. They're going to scrape and rub on edges. So. And edges could be in. They could be the difference between hardwood and 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 uh, cedar trees, mm-hmm. creating an edge. Something that creates an edge, deer will gravitate to. Mm. So you're just always looking for those five or six little things that that make you go look to that spot and why it's good and why why are they traveling it. Mm. And so that that's what I generally go look for when I'm hunting a new area. And so, you know, guys, you know. It's, uh, many times it goes back to the same scenario of putting a stand on your back and walking until you find fresh sign and hunting. Yeah. Whether it's on flat ground or in the mountains. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I got a stand on my back, then those are the things I'm looking for as I'm traversing. I might put up right there when I find the best sign and, and go to hunting. And I've had good luck doing that. Yeah. So we, we started talking at the very beginning. Um, we talked early season. We talked kind of how, how you, how that transitions into, um, mid-season and rut talk to me maybe from like from mid-season on through the end of the year what are kind of the general philosophies that you try to follow and, and, and think through as you get into the woods and and just how do you hunt those times well you know again you then you reverse your thought you're thinking about what the deer are doing what are the surviving deer doing what are the big bucks doing now that they, let's just say the rut's over and you went in there and you rattled and grunted loud and you got excited during the rut and you had great action and all of a sudden it's there's a night it it just the switch goes off Mm -hmm. and they go back to being deer Mm -hmm. so your big deer go back to being big deer you know the rut's over and there so that reason for them to be on their feet be out of their home range is gone now so that goes back to your scouting and previous years of scouting i used to do my best scouting rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting I'd rabbit hunt in the wintertime and always thinking whitetails. Wasn't afraid to go into the bedding areas, bust them out. I didn't care. Yeah. Run them out of there. Great. I'm rabbit hunting. I'm not deer hunting. You guys are fine. But I didn't have a problem because they had a long time to forget that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, trying to scout that right when you're trying to kill one is the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can scout it in... January, February, March, turkey season, I can be looking, I walk through thickets that I would avoid, but I walk through them at that time of year and learn everything I can about, see what kind of old rubs are there, where's the trails coming in and out. It's just total education. So as the late season and the deer start going back to being mature deer again, I think about those things. Where are they bedding? Okay, they're probably not leaving that bedding area too early now. There's no reason to. You know, where are they feeding? Their stomachs play a big part. So whether you're hunting farm country or the Ozarks, you need to know where they're bedding, especially late season. Yeah. And you need to know what's keeping them alive. Yeah. What are they eating on? That's the two things that that's going to make you successful. 
Yeah. You know, uh, uh, so figure out what they're surviving on, whether it's browse, whether it's acorns, whether it's, you know, going to some whatever type of browse it might be in the area, uh, honeysuckle, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Find it and then correlate that to where you think they're bedding. And that transition area is going to be a good bet in late season. Yeah. Don't expect a lot of action and uh, expect early and expect mm -hmm. late and uh, kind of on their on their toes, on guard again, and you're hunting a little different buck. So you're not as aggressive with the calling and the rattling. Not that I don't. Right. Especially grunts. I'll throw out grunts year-round. Doesn't matter when I'm hunting. Just just grunts. Uh, I'm a deer. Come here. Yeah. But uh, don't expect a lot of hyperactivity. But I've had bucks come into me in December. No, not a bit of rut on their mind. Just, just to check out a grunt. Mm. Just to say, okay, I hear you. Where you at? And it can happen. So, uh, uh, but you go back to hunting uh, passively, right? And thinking mm. changes and strategics. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's food and cover. For the end of the at the end of the year, that's yeah. what keeps them alive. Hmm. That's a really fantastic start to part one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We'll pick back up with with calling here in a minute. This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors, hosted by Kyle Beat, produced by Daniel Matthews, and co-hosted by Kyle Plunkett, Adam Treese, and Josh Launch. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating, a review, and sharing it with someone in the Ozarks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.